that's just the way rocks go. Those are hilarious. Yeah. Well, all right. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Geology on the Rocks, your one-stop audio shop for all things rocks and rocking out. A brief overview of this evening's episode will include intros and hellos, followed by the triple news and... What? Intros and hellos, <laughs> followed by triple junction and new news. Our main discussion will be solely from you, the inquisitive listeners, and us answering your curious questions. As always, between the bars of our main discussion, we present to you our final mineral minute of season two. And before signing off, we will close things out with another That Freaking Rocks. A great many thanks to all of our listeners out there for allowing us to be played between your earballs each week, both to our new listeners and to our returning listeners alike. If you would like to reach out to us, whether it be for episode ideas, to answers you are wanting questioned, or if... <laughs> or, or if to just tell us or if to just tell us about all the times we were wrong you can reach us at geologyotr at gmail.com or you can find us on instagram at geology on the rocks podcast it looks as if things are squared away over here so without further ado to all of you over there i am your host james the geologist and i'm brian baggins and this is Geology, Geology on the, the rocks. rocks. All right. Well, hey, man. Hey. How are you? Another week, eh? Yeah, it feels like it's been forever since our last, like, little shindig. I don't know. It, it has felt like forever. Yeah. I, will, I will not lie to you. Editing <laughs> that, so that, that last episode, we ended up recording for, like, three hours and 16 yeah. minutes, and it, it felt really long. But first, cheers. We are drinking a little Old Forester today, a little yeah. is it Kentucky bourbon. Yeah, it's, like, one of the older ones, I guess. I don't know. I don't know if it's definitely not one of the best, but it's it's not. I'll, I'll tell you, it's not the worst. Mm-mm. Definitely not the worst. And no. then this is our our <laughs> what it's already starting. Like it, it, we're stumbling <laughs> out of the gates, but it we do. So this is this is our final episode of the season of season two. And uh, congratulations to that. Yeah. And then also we're a quarter of a century. So wow. episode twenty five. I think this was one of really our our big one of the milestone episodes that we thought. And we've talked about this being kind of a special. So a big yeah. cheers to you again for journeying me journeying me. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, we were we were looking at uh, flat Earth uh, oh, gosh, things yeah. right before this, so I'm still <laughs> in giggle mode. Like yeah. I can't stop having giggle head. But anyways, yeah, it really has been, and it's been a lot of fun. We were talking about it too a little bit. That I don't know, just this little thing that we started, and yeah, you know. it's been fun. But I mean, we still learn doing this, and that's, oh, that's something that I really cherish about it. Yeah, that's absolutely, awesome. and I, I feel like it'll be useful. Because I, I I go back teaching face to face in the fall, and it will be good to these the the little things, the little stories that make it more interesting than you know it's one thing yeah. just like okay so here's all this information, but to give it a little bit more context. And this is I don't know I'm I'm having a lot of fun. We're oh, close yeah. to eight thousand downloads That's on pretty dang good on twenty three episodes. So because I mean I just released the the twenty fourth today. So. People I guess like to hear about rocks like, and, what? and rocking out. Yeah, that that everyone likes to hear. And about, I think but. it's I think it's the tangents yeah. we go we go <laughs> way off topic yeah quite yeah. a bit but anyways i just wanted to say a big thank you to you it's been it's been an excellent journey so thanks we'll for that. choosing me james yeah oh, i always choose you <laughs> especially on tuesday mm. tuesday that's what my mom says tuesday Tuesday. She's English. Oh, yeah. Tuesday. Tuesday. I had to break myself of saying it's Tuesday, but it's not good for, I guess, editing. It's all like, (laughs) yeah. 
Oh man. <laughs> so a little bit about, I guess, how we, we can do tonight. Cause we're doing the curious questions from the inquisitive listener. Yeah, I think yeah. that's right. But I, I think that we should try to at least keep each topic to about 10 to 15 minutes. I know some are going to go a lot faster and then yeah. others are going to be more involved. So, but roughly we'll spend about well, 10 minutes. And they didn't like, they were nice to us. They didn't give us anything that was just no crazy. <laughs> yeah. I feel like the first one, they were like, we, we did this where we, I think this is before a, we had any, that uh, was a monster episode. Yeah. It was the, the moon. I remember that one. Okay. Weird. Was it the moon? You haven't looked at the periodic table lately and it shows. I think that was one of the question ones I thought. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I know it was Amazon. Then we. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're right. The moon Great was way Lakes. earlier. Well, I think we did. Yeah. Grab. Great know. Lakes was definitely one of them. Yeah, yep. for sure. That's for cool. sure. Okay. So then on to a little triple junction we go. Fanfare. We got episode idea for, I, I really like this, for dissecting geology movies in all of their glory. And I really say that we move some things around in season three and do that. I know we were just talking about it before. Yeah. But I think that would be a good idea. There's so many that are so bad. And are there? Because I, I I can only yeah. think of like a few that come to mind. There's definitely like the core, Dante's Peak. Dante's uh, Peak. Day After Tomorrow is tomorrow. Te- technically. Gosh, there's other ones. Why can't I think of them? But yeah, so uh, Jillian. Like Twister, all, like all sorts of stuff. Oh yeah, Twister, yeah. But Jillian, thank you for the idea. Yeah. It's really going to, I, f- I feel like it's going to be real. So how about, do you just want to go over a little bit of, so I know this this season was very, I guess, said strat, uh, heavily focused because we were kind of following you along on your journey yeah. on that study. But but episode, I mean, like season three is going to be a little bit more like season one and where it's kind of a, well, we're not going to have like multiple topics, each one, but each episode we hope is going to be, I think, wildly entertaining. So for example, we're going to talk about geology and war. We want to talk about the wonderful world of microfossils. I, something that's been on the plate for, I guess, quite a while, right, is talking about granites, all the different types of granites yeah. and then the miscon or I guess the catch all <laughs> phrase of granite countertops, talk about microplastics and the ocean pollution and a little bit um, about that. And then I know geology options for undergraduates is a, is one that mm-hmm. it's, we've gotten multiple requests for that. And then oil, gas, yeah. geology with respects to coffee and whiskey. Yeah, have some good guests for that one. Yeah, and then Kevin's going to come and join us to tell, do some space talk. We hope to get a park ranger from the Grand Canyon yeah. and then hopefully we can get Greta back and talk about the evolutions of humans, geologically speaking. <laughs> that, I mean, like all of it, yeah. it's it's, it's yeah. It's going to be really cool. And then bringing the idea of dissecting movies, I guess, inaccurately. I guess it's hard to, you know, when I watch a war movie, I'm like looking at all like the stupid things that they do, like your uniforms, like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense, guy. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm excited about that. Cool. That sounds and then, good to me. Uh, so season three, big things are to come. Oh, before we go any further, how was the PG? Dude, it was, we've taken really hard tests before, right? Yeah, like, I, I would say so. We don't ever want to do again. Mm-hmm. This was probably harder than those yeah and and i think it's because it is such a broad test like there was everything from just general geology but very little of that it was mainly like coal mining Mm. and oil and gas stuff which is interesting because they don't require their geologists to have pgs no definitely not so there was stuff about that there was a lot about groundwater contamination in leach fields and just kind of like I don't know why you're testing me this stuff. <laughs> there were maybe less than five questions about what I actually do at work. Okay. 
So, but do you think you did all right though? I think it's possible that I passed. Quite possible. Well, I have all the faith in you, sir. Thank you. No questions about anal see me. No, there were none. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe next time. I have Maybe to next time. <laughs> no one giggled at any of the questions. No, and okay. everyone was wanting to die. Like, damn. Yeah. More questions about damn. All right, and then <laughs> I guess on to the follow up portion of the triple junction, and we got a, another question this week, and it, they the the listener was wanting to know about I guess advection fog and how it forms, you know, I guess they said when warm air moves over cool surfaces and which locations would this pertain to and why? And I, I think it's a good question. It's a loaded question. And I feel like as always, we're going to give you all of the information. <laughs> so advection fog, I think before we talk about advection fog, we need to keep in mind that there are many types of fog, such as advection mm-hmm. fog. We have radiation fog. We can have steam fog precipitation fog, we can have freezing fog, hail fog, flogging molly, upslope (laughs) fog, 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 fog. So to, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, like mirror fog, it condensates, but I mean like, yeah, it's condensation. But so to understand between the different fogs first, let's explain how fog forms in the first place. And to do that with this thing called dew point, the dew point, and that's, that's the temperature at which air will become a hundred percent saturated. Yeah. And then in more technical in more technical tor- terms, the dew point is the temperature at which water vapor in a sample of air at constant barometric pressure condenses into liquid water at the same rate at which it evaporates. So it's that back and forth. So it's yeah. evaporating, it's uh, coming out. So Right. Yeah. And so at temperatures below the dew point, the rate of condensation will be greater than that of its evaporation. So Mm -hmm. it's going to form more liquid water and the condensed water is then called dew when it forms on a solid surface. But if it freezes, we'd call it frost. Or rime, right? Yeah. I don't know. Eh. I've never heard that actually. Rime? No. R-I-M-E? It's like, uh, it's the dew that's frosted over. Hmm. In the morning, like when you see that it's all like frozen. I never knew that. Well, it's called rime. The more you know. The more you know. (laughs) In the air, the condensed water is called either fog or a cloud. Yeah. And that's dependent on altitude. The temperature is below the dew point and no dew or fog forms. The vapor is called supersaturated. And this can happen. There's not enough particles in the air to to act as a condensation nuclei. Yeah. And also the lower the dew point, the drier the air and vice versa. Mm. So let's say hypothetically you have a temperature of, I don't know, let's say 80 degrees and we had a dew point of 60. Now that's 60 degrees right now. That is going to feel pretty humid. It's going to be sticky. However, if we are to take that same 80 degrees, but the dew point is at 45 degrees, it's going to feel a lot drier and more comfortable, Mm. if you will. If all the other factors influencing humidity are constant, at ground level, the relative humidity rises as the temperature falls. And that's because less vapor is needed to saturate the air. Mm -hmm. But normal conditions, the dew point temperature will not be greater than the air temperature since relative humidity can't exceed 100%. Yeah. And that, and that's weird with the, the calculations with, you know, actual humidity versus relative humidity. And, you know, so if you're inside your basement, why in the middle of summer, why is it cooler in your basement? Mm, yeah, and yeah. anyways, I, I have my students calculate <laughs> oh, all of do? that stuff like back and forth. Like, yeah. They're like, dang it. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's, it's fun to know, but you know, 
like clearly right now, if it's, if I haven't been looking at it, I can't just like, Oh, this is the temperature. I don't I don't know why it reminded me of that, but I hated those calculus questions that were like, if you take frozen <laughs> chicken out of the freezer, how long would it take to get to room temperature? You would have to figure that out using calculus yeah, and, area under the curve. Yeah. yeah. It's just so terrible. I hated it. Yeah. And then what we know from the, the property, what I find interesting about water and like what the, the phase changes in that latent heat is if you take, let's say a cube of ice, right? And it is, you know, let's say it's like, we'll just, we're going to do Celsius. So if it's like negative 30 degrees Celsius, right? You raise the temperature, it's going to stay at zero degrees until the last crystal of ice melts. And then that's when you see that temperature change until it boils at hundred degrees Celsius. And then it is going to, that, that, that's why you cook with boiling water because it remains constant. It's going to be at hundred degrees Celsius that whole time it's boiling. Right. I, yeah. I, I never knew that. Yeah, I, I so always weird. thought oh, if I turn up the volume or the volume, heat. if I turn up the heat more, or the energy that it's going to make the water hotter and it doesn't, it, it gets to the boiling temperature and then there it sits until yeah. it's all evaporated. Now you right. can add salt to make it a little hotter, right? Cause it changes that. Yeah. That would change it, the chemistry of it. But yeah, that's, that's very weird to think about. Not only is that weird, but like also we've talked about it before, like altitude changing. Oh yeah. And that point. changes it too. Yeah. 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 And, okay. So this is a, a tangent too. We did it. Yeah. Again. Here's a like uh, I was reading this article about time and its relativity and how time passes faster at the top of mountains than at uh, sea level. Yeah. Don't, I don't, I'll have to do that. So back to advection fog (laughs) and this, and this type of fog forms relatively when relatively warm, moist air moves over a colder surface, for example, a body of water, snow covered ground, et cetera. And interactions between the two result in the air becoming saturated. This process is called advection, a scientific name describing the movement of fluid. And in this case, the fluid is wind. And when the, when the moist, warm air makes contact, Contact with the cooler surface air, water vapor condenses to create fog. Advection fog shows up mostly in places where warm tropical air meets cooler ocean water. Okay, you would really see this like out on the west coast, like on San Francisco Bay. That's, that's what that's what comes to mind to yeah. me. Yeah, so it's that the the Pacific coast of the United States, from Washington really to California, it's it's often yeah. covered in advection fog, and this is due to that cold California current that we talked about with uh, Dr. Angela Osen, which runs along the western coast of North America. It's much cooler than the warm air along the coast. So this warm more Moist air cools to its dew point, saturates, and results in the formation of fog that moves on shore. Mm, Boom. There you go. Boom. Yeah, so it's a little bit different than the other. It's like, so after like a rain and it kind of, it's kind of the opposite. It's the cooler air is on top and the energy or the heat is being released from the ground upwards. And that's the one that in the morning and it dissipates kind of really yeah. with the sun but with with advection fog it's usually you have like a light breeze blowing across it so it's more stable too mm, i yeah. love fog i think it's cool yeah yeah so fog <laughs> i guess on to new news we go my friend all right so for my first story it involves more of the animal kingdom <laughs> basically the bee larva uh, of these one specific bees that were studied They found that they drum with their butts and this will confuse predatory wasps. Okay, I can see how that that would help. I I don't know if it's making itself like seem like there's more of them because they hear maybe Um, with the vibrations. So here's what people have known that adult bees make all sorts of noise, right? We can even hear them doing stuff just flying by you. Yeah. But they do other things like they have their cool dances and all that stuff. But the larvae were thought to be silent. 
And so they started, I guess they were studying like larva habits and they noticed that there was this soft noise coming from these little shelters that were made. Like the, the bees like to use different shelters for, okay. for their larva. And it was this soft tapping sound. And once they observed it, they realized that they were using their butts. There's this little thing on their anus that's hard. And it will, they just like wrapped the outside of this little like leaf-like shelter. Okay. The wasps, though, what they do is they fly in and with their antennae, they will gently touch whatever the shelter is. And they're able to tell like where it's hollow and where it's, I guess. I guess guess the density difference is maybe. Because of the sound. Yeah. These larvae will basically confuse them because then it overloads like all the sensory and they can't figure out where one is and where one isn't. Huh. Yeah. I never even, like, I guess I'm not a much of a. I guess what do they call them? Apoptot? What are they? <laughs> Ophthalmologist? Entomologist? No, no, no. no. Oh. What they call like beekeepers? Oh Apopsis, yeah, yeah, yeah. Apop- I don't know. I, I just said I don't study bee behaviors, <laughs> nor do I study wasp behaviors. But yeah. I know that they're more. They'll eat other animals. I think yeah. bees are just they're. I guess the vegans of the yeah of the buzzing world. Right. Yeah, I don't know, honey. Yeah. I don't know, honey. (laughs) Well, all right. Well, my article comes to us from our planetary neighbor, Mars. Previously, scientists really thought that Mars's water was lost in a slow and steady trickle. So basically, as the the sunlight hit it, it split in in the lower atmosphere and the hydrogen gradually diffused upward. Well, a satellite around it, MAVEN, which has been orbiting Mars since about 2014, actually scooped up the water molecules in Mars' ionosphere. So at altitudes <laughs> of about 150 kilometers, previously that the highest water had been seen was about at 80 kilometers in the atmosphere. So what they think is the top of Mars's atmosphere is actually full of charged mo- molecules that are primed for rapid chemical reactions, especially with water. Water up there is actually split apart quickly on average, lasting in the upper atmosphere for only about four hours, leaving hydrogen atoms to freely float away. And this process is 10 times faster than previously known ways for Mars to lose water. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so that's one way that there's, I guess, not really this atmosphere, water yeah. vapor in the, it's being, I guess, it's it's floating up higher and then it's just being uh, ripped apart by That's sun so rays. weird. So it's just the... Um it's, it's just the chemical reaction potential that, like, what drives this? Or? And it's going up in the atmosphere and into the, and they're charged particles. So, like, it's it's a new way because they thought that it was kind of like the slow and steady trickle, but it can float up and then just be zapped away. Yeah, in a matter of hours. Wow. Apparently four hours. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, so my or my second article is going to be about the element phosphorus. Okay. We've known that that would be one of, like, the hallmark elements for life. Uh-huh. Like early life on Earth. And so they have previously maintained that meteorites brought phosphorus to Earth. And that was part of the reason for the explosion of life. Yeah, makes sense. That's because there's a mineral called, I think it's called like Schreberite or something like that. And that's a, a, a phosphatic mineral that's found on meteorites. And it was found in early Earth fossils and stuff. They also found out that fulgurites from like three to 3.5 billion years old, they were really rich in this mineral. So Uh, they're saying that life could have been because of this really uh, violent atmosphere at the time and storms. Yeah, well, isn't in the, like the Stanley Miller, kind of like where he made 
you know, the amino acids in the, in the kind of primordial type of the element, he put elements in this, uh, you know, this kind of environment and then he like electrocuted it. Like oh, it was lightning really? strikes. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder if this is really old news. So or maybe they're just, make- they're verifying kind yeah. of like just, you know, cause if you can say that it, it's not from these meteors, it's actually from uh, lightning strikes. I mean, cause I mean like he just put, I think the Stanley Miller experiment, he just put stuff into yeah. this kind of thing and kind of like, this is what we think that the early atmosphere was made of. It made amino acids, the building blocks to all of that. But then if you add, I guess, maybe phosphorus is the one of the... Yeah, it must be. Yeah. And I think that what they're trying to say is if life happened earlier, then its main attributing factor would be meteorites because of like when we developed an atmosphere. Yeah. But if it happened at like 3.5 or younger, then lightning could have been more of... A proponent of life here on well Earth. let me ask you this would it i mean the earth had an atmosphere but i mean i guess it wasn't as oxygenated right it was right. like i mean would it matter if it was i mean because if it was because in the earlier days i mean like wasn't they were more like thermophile i guess they would have to be more thermal i don't know it, don't it'd be know something enough, to man. be a cool yeah. episode to like early 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 yeah like, like kind of Archean, people Hadian. yeah because i think what's really cool is the idea of like there's like all these like hypotheses like floating around right but like one of the ones that that struck out to me are kind of like how when these proteins kind of like form they like they put their hydrophobic side towards the outside and they made kind of like this globule like this hmm. it wasn't anything alive it was just this how the this molecule made itself and it put its like lipids on the outside so it was hydrophobic so you yeah. had like this kind of inside and then i I don't know. They, they're thinking that maybe that's like one of the ways that, you know, because I feel it, like it, I've heard that before, yeah. too. Yeah, I don't know. And then what lightning, I think, is a interesting because like one, we don't really fully understand how it works. Like, right. They they we know how it works, but they don't know like why, I guess why. But yeah. I didn't know that it there's it's actually like they think that it's actually a major contributor to like mountain erosion. Like, you know, you hear like overburden and they kind of just like they get so high and they go sense. But then it like lightning strikes actually are attributing to, I I think, quite a bit of erosion of mountains. So lightning. Yeah, that's pretty cool. (laughs) It is. Have you ever seen a fulgurite? Uh, super weird looking. Is it when they is it when they strike the sand and yeah. it makes that cool? Yeah, kind yeah. of like a Sweet Home Alabama when the dude makes it. Oh yeah, he makes artwork from it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, That's okay. Like that. All right. Well, my second story. So if you remember my new news story from a few weeks ago, talking about the the thousands of earthquakes happening beneath the Iceland in February, yeah. and they were warning about possible volcanic eruptions. Well. well. March 19th, an eruption finally began, um, I'm going to butcher this, but beneath the the Gelden Gadler Valley near Fagradlosfjell, one of the the many shield volcanoes on the peninsula there. So while small in comparison to other recent eruptions in Iceland, the event was bright and large enough for NASA and NOAA satellites to actually observe the volcanic eruption. So on March 21st, 2021, the Suomi MPP satellite acquired a nighttime view of the western Iceland through a thin layer of clouds. Um, the Reykjavik, uh, Reykjavik, and other cities appear as bright spots in the image. So the eruption appears as a new patch of light on the southwestern part of the island. For comparison, the image that uh, they were looking at, and I was looking at on the left, shows the same area a few days before the eruption, and then lava poured from the fissure that was initially 500 to 700 meters long, and it successfully built up and then broke down mounds of cooled lava, and it's called spatter cones. Neither ash or gas emissions have been 
been problematic either in response or I guess as subsequent from the eruptions. However, the Icelandic Meteorological Office is monitoring the volcano. But how cool is that? So observing something that scientists predicted might happen. Yeah. It's weird how uh, science does that. And we, did we talk about, I feel like we must have said something like, hey, all these earthquakes, like, I, I feel like we would have talked about it was it was one it was my new news story yeah. um on the second so it was on the mary larry estuary second oh, that's with, right. yeah. with dr Oson. yeah it's it's really cool to see the connection i think yeah us. absolutely so why i say that why it's weird how <laughs> science predicts something and, and, and it happens like <laughs> it doesn't i mean like that's what i guess science is right it's a it's kind of evaluating your everyday life and making predictions. And it's not saying like, this is a hundred percent true, but from our observations, we see these patterns, we do some science yeah. and it predicts it in a way that it, it makes sense. And I think this will segue <laughs> perfectly into our first topic slash question. And that is where are the flat earthers now? <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm just going to set a timer for 15 minutes. All right. All right. Flat earthers, man, where, where do these, <laughs> so I, I will tell you like when I, when I first heard it, I thought it was a joke, but then I was like, Huh, they may, I mean, like without any kind of like prior knowledge and I had even graduated with my master's and like the first time I like they, they, they just throw this all this stuff at you to where you kind of like I, it, I actually second guess myself. I'm like, well, how come water doesn't fall? Like, okay. But then I was like, no, <laughs> yeah. stop it, James. Stop it. So what I want to bring up is more so the reasoning behind first before we break them down. I think a lot of the reasoning behind a lot of their misguided perceptions is something we as scientists, I, I think to a, an extent is failed to do or ignore knowledge like right because usually we just scoff at the idea when someone honestly believes that the earth is flat we're like what harm can they do yeah kind of like (laughs) anti-vectors like oh you know that's just one person but then they grow grew into this something that yeah this cancer that's well and it's you're right like in school like i don't think they really if they mention it there's like hey the the earth is spherical like right it's not flat (laughs) yeah so i don't know if it's even given any time of day in school and no because i feel like it, it it has been some Something that has been, I don't know. I it's one of those things where it kind of doesn't need further explanation that the earth is round. No, it should just be a fact. Like it's the earth is round. Yeah. yeah. And then, but I, f- I feel like there's really sometimes there's typically the person behind that they have skepticism when it comes to authority and government. Yeah. yeah. So therefore, like NASA is a government agency, and then somewhere in I guess in the Bible, like it says like it's this flat thing oh, with a wow. kind of like this um, globe over you know like kind of like this <laughs> globe yeah, over yeah. you. Ah, uh, well, yeah, let's like, let's start maybe with some claims. Okay. That, so the one that I know of, actually, it's the only one because I don't give this in a time of day. Yeah. Um, they believe that the earth is a disc that yeah. is like centered in like, so it's, it's basically in the center of a circle or like a disc plane and the Arctic circle is around it. This ice wall yeah. that surrounds the earth. And they actually think that NASA, I guess, guards the wall to keep people from flying off into space. Yeah, right. And I, I know, I mean, so I've, I've tried to over the years, you know, I'll read their things just so I can, where are they getting this information? Why do they think they are right? And then they attribute that to some kind of military treaty between nations. However, you know, from South Satellite images, right? There are zero military bases or evidence <laughs> of military action anywhere near Antarctica, right? Why? Yeah. Like. Yeah. <laughs> and, 
So like, so I'm going to get into a few things because I feel like this is the one that spoke to me the most out of all these. Yeah. Flat earthers, they like to use visibility of distant objects to prove Earth's curvature does not exist. And often you'll hear this number thrown around like all willy nilly. And this is that, I guess, the idea of eight inches per mile squared. So at one mile, the surface is about eight inches below the horizon or the horizontal line at the zero point. And at two miles, it's at 32 inches below the horizontal plane and at three miles, 72 two inches and so on and so on. So that's how they're calculating it. So it, it, it doesn't jive well with actually observed data, like what you can actually see. Yeah. So also, if you think back to your days of maths, I, a function with a squared value in it is, is parabolic, right? Yeah. So it, it's a parabola. Right. So it, for one, and this, this equation that they used used to be, it was for approximations back in the day when they didn't have sophisticated instrumentation to show like, so, I mean, right. it's good to a, an approximation. I think, I don't know if it's a hundred miles or what. So the, the parabola approximates the circular shape of earth along a given line, but eventually they are going to diverge because we know a parabola is, it's not spherical. The formula yeah, is an approximation. Change. It takes absolutely no account of refraction of the air lines of sight close to the horizontal and close to the surface are notoriously suspect. So flat earthers <clears throat> say it so much because it's all about mathematics. They can handle, right? So, by omitting the effects yeah. of refraction, it allows them to claim that it doesn't work when they use it in conditions of fairly significant refraction. So unfortunately for them, their extreme ignorance of refraction means that it is usually fairly easy to show that they are wrong, <laughs> but they don't allow that kind of checking in their works. And I guess this is for obvious reasons. Yeah. So an excellent example people often like to photograph is the Chicago skyline from the dunes of Indiana. The distance is roughly 32 miles across Lake Michigan, but using the equation for a parabola, the earth curvature should be 29 miles, far, you know, far too much to see even the talls of skyscrapers, which you do really see, right? So thus yeah. they get to proclaim <laughs> the flat earth proof, right? So based on that, it kind of your, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but if we wanted to use the real formula for that, um, <laughs> the, the H is equal to the radius and then the radius minus the radius, the cosine S divided by two times or two times the radius. Yeah. And the drop at the distance is more like 550 feet, which nicely matches nearly any and all photos or videos taken of Chicago from the Indiana dunes, roughly the bottom half of the, Will the Willits Sears tower is hidden by water, right? Mm. So we don't even have have to use science to prove the earth is not flat. So this no, is where I'm no. going to go on a little right. So yeah. how do we not see the sun 24 hours a day? Right. Right. How does their model work with night and day? And then to further that, we know that there are such things as seasons. How do you account for it being summer? If we're all on a plane, everybody that... <laughs> that's in daytime. So, right. That's going to include the Northern and Southern hemisphere. How can it be winter up here yeah, and summer exactly. in the Southern hemisphere? Right. So their flat earth model doesn't really account for that, but the tilt of the earth does. Right. Yeah. And then what about this idea? Oh, did you have anything to do about seasons? Well, I had something else, uh, like another point. It's okay. like, if the earth was flat, why have all the cats not pushed everything off of it? <laughs> Meow. I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, uh. But no, you're for real, like why at, there wouldn't be a, a period of time that we wouldn't have some visible visibility of the sun. Yeah. So where does it go? Why, where does it, yeah. why wouldn't we be able to see it in the, 
if it's we're on a plate or some kind of flat yeah. object, you would be able to see it in the in the far off sky, right? Right. And like it would just it it would look like kind of it should be like um I guess Antarctica or you know and and the northern right. and southern kind of like where anyways. And then the seasons, like we know that it it has nothing to do with how Distance, far yeah. how far we are from the the sun. It has to do with the concentration of that light. If you're when we angle that twenty three and a half degrees, whenever that's that's what we call the tropics of Cancer and Capricorn. Mm. Whenever that directed sunlight is when the angle, like the top part, right, is the direct sunlight's at that. It's our summertime in the northern hemisphere. We know that that axis is pointed to the same night sky all the all year round. So yeah. Whenever you go at the equinox, this is equal night and day. That's when it's roughly the same amount of light being distributed. And then it's in the southern, right? So in the in the fall. And then why you're getting, why that matters, right, is you're taking that concentration of light. If it's angled, like you would see in a globe, you're dissipating that energy over a greater area. So <laughs> it's not absorbing as much. Therefore, it's going to be cooler. And then it changes all these different things. So anyways. Yeah. All right. So then I bring to what? about eclipses right that we can physically <laughs> yeah. like look at this beautiful lunar eclipse on this flat earth i don't you could only <laughs> they could only happen at midnight like how do you different times of day how do you in a model a flat earth model like how yeah. do you resolve how can you even you have see it throughout how yeah. could you even have solar eclipses yeah 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 i don't it doesn't make sense like, right. And then the shape of the eclipse. Right. So right. they don't happen at midnight. So what about how about this? What about the the stars in the night sky? Right. So the northern hemisphere, we revolve mm. around Polaris and we can see that on a time lapse photo. If you look in the sky, it all everything shifts and moves kind of in yeah, the we, north sky and it, it, it revolves around that point. Right. And we can't see all constellations at one time bingo so if we were to go north right we would see different constellations like as as we went northward whatever's on our horizon is going to sink down below it right so as we move closer to the equator the ones further north they're going to come out of our field of view and we're going to start seeing like we don't see like the the southern cross we don't see any of the southern hemispheres except for different times right uh of the year because but that has to do more with there's kind of some wall i mean over time but anyways like the and then also where we're pointed right that's why we have the 12 constellations and it it points to eventually over time yeah so the constellations move as you change latitudes which you would expect on a sphere and then okay so now we're going to get into more of the nitty-gritty what would a map actually look like uh, the, due to the extreme distortion? So as you, everyone, if, you, if you're a flat earther and you think that America looks like America, then you are completely wrong because that is on a, like a Mercator yeah. projection, right? Right. That's not really the, the way it looks. Even if you think that it looks like, how, how do you, when the, as you get closer to a center, right? So the, so it's the North, just like <laughs> this really big thing. And then as you go, cause how do you resolve as you go South, the distance is traveled, yeah. like, right? So they're going to have to be like really small and then how does that make sense because how are you going to travel three hours you know at 60 degrees latitude west oh, yeah. and you travel six you it know hours cover as much <laughs> yeah I, I if the earth was flat what is what's what's even the shape like most flat earthers it's believers a, assume it's, it's a circular disc and then it, even like how they describe it is hard to understand yeah because it's a circular disc that's like has an earth mass under it so it's more like um a solid cone right or then why can't it be a square why can't it be a triangle like what what automatically (laughs) just why is it circular because the things that we can observe that are other spheroids in space are round and so they think they're trying to i don't know and then i ask you 
what type of experiments might we do to find that out? Like, right, that's something that they could probably <laughs> test. Like, how do like, you know that the center of the flat disk is at the North Pole? Like, why is it at the North Pole if it's a flat Earth? Right. In like, why not the South Pole? And like, how thick is it? Yeah. Why not some other point? Like, why <laughs> why is it based on a on a sphere like where we know the 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 North Pole is? Yeah. And the South Pole. So, what evidence do they have to support any of that? Like, how? What could like experiments to find out? Like, what's on the other side of the disk? Is it another civilization? Maybe. Like, what how, about magnetic reversals? Yeah. Like, it doesn't. Why? Why are there <laughs> even magnetic reversals? There's nothing in the middle spinning around. Like, could we tunnel down to reach the other side? We know that as we dig deeper the earth is hotter as experienced in deep diamond mines why is that yeah because the earth is not flat that's why <laughs> so what causes ocean tides why are they synchronized so reliably to the position of the moon and the sun in our sky how is it that a <laughs> ship or airplane can travel all the way around the antarctic yeah. continent in less time it takes to travel from new york to england let me tell you why the earth is not flat yeah all right right so the the distance on the north centered flat earth map is much greater near the antarctic and where you're going around the circumference of the flat disk so even before gps the land masses of earth had been extensively surveyed using telescopic transits right so they, they confirmed the fact that the earth is round then later laser transits were used and now we have global positioning systems all of these consistently confirm the curvature of the earth what about simple um, Euclidean what about rainbows? Yeah, why is an rainbow? <laughs> why is a rainbow arced? Why is it not just a a, a flat line? line. <laughs> or why isn't it? Or even if that, why isn't it just like a circle in this? Or yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like in the sky, is it curved? Why, when I can fly my drone up, can I see the curvature of the Earth? But they said they'll say that that's due to the the curvature of the lens. And I know I've seen videos of theirs where where they're just like, oh, it's flat. But they 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 edit out all the ones where it's it's yeah, curved, okay. like it, it fits their neighborhood, right? So like, what experimental data used? What mathematic methods, right? For any of these assumptions were used in any of this? They're just making this shit up, why man. Would, why would a, a body like if you condense things? So we had to think of it just in simplest forms, like when matter is formed. Yeah. Like molecules. They don't just go flat like in space. Like they, they don't. All, they they all they all yeah. Yeah. So it's not like you have a nice this disc shape. That so how do they happen. how do they explain gravity? Are other planets are they round? So why I think they think that gravity is not what we say it is. I know, but they can't offer anything. I think they use <laughs> yeah, what yeah. like uh electronegative uh so they, they use a whole bunch of like fancy words that they can't even they don't understand the the physics behind it. The, the YouTube mad, video they watched. Yeah, because and the, so there's nothing that is coherent they can't have a singular model so and they always are like oh why, why are you going to believe this well i've asked why are you going to make something harder than it has to be why would i believe you when you have no evidence none when other people have and they're like oh we have plenty of it's like the coriolis effect how did that like we know oh yeah that's because of the spin of a globe oh my god so anyways that is kind of we're at the limit there on to funny field stories yeah this was a great question, and I'm, I'm hoping we're not going to repeat anything we've said already. But I'm some sure of these, we have. Some of these stories are are that good. I got us 10 minutes. I'll let you go first. Okay, so I went out. So we've one of our guests, Jason, we went out to the field once, and uh, I was helping him with his kind of debris flow um, out in, in the, I'm going to mess it up, with the, the mountains over in El Paso. Uh, is, is it the Guadalupe's? Oh, yeah, the Davis. It yeah. could be, but it's in the with that limestone. So he was uh, oh, yeah. measuring debris flow. That, that hasn't been mapped and like kind of what is this like lens inside of this it's like a debris flow inside of debris flow and kind of like mm. this slump but anyways yeah. so I was uh, 
being a good little helper, helping him out. And I was up on this ladder, like extended all the way. I think it was like a 30 foot ladder, like at the top where it in a picture, like I'm tiny, but like, you know, and I guess even in a picture, you're like, oh, you're not that high. But when you're up there, you're just kind of like, oh, shit. But anyways, I was like, <laughs> so I was grabbing these samples for him. Then I was like, hey, Jason, like this is a good photo op. Like, let me just like cheese dick a little bit. Right. <laughs> so I'm like, I, I look over to like take this picture and then I almost fall off this ladder. Like it's like <laughs> I, it is a a nut hair away from like I'm going to fall 30 feet onto like these crags of rock. Believe I would me. never have got to do a podcast with you. Yeah, no, I was like, ah. Like I scream, like, I don't, I don't like heights at <laughs> yeah, all, like, but you do parkour, I, but I don't do parkour elevated on, anymore. Oh my God. Like those videos Ugh. seriously give me anxiety yeah. when they're doing like all that on top. Yeah. Yeah. So like I've almost fallen off, you know, up in the middle of this rock face. Yikes. Yeah. Okay. I'll do, I'll do one. Like I was climbing down in Arroyo. So like, uh, yeah. like water carved, like little steps coming down in a canyon and I was having fun. I was, I usually doing field work like that alone, which mm-hmm. I don't know if is the proper way, but I like it that way. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I was crawling down and I like jumped down and I realized there was this little like alcove type thing. Yeah. So I'm, I jumped down into it. And on the other side of it, I just see these like eyes no. like, just come pop up out across from this rock. Yeah. And, and it's just like, they're staring at me. I'll tell you what it was in a minute, but the way it was looking, its ears were down. And so I didn't see uh. the size of the ears and the eyes looked exactly like a puma. <laughs> and I'm like, this is the end. This is the end. <laughs> yeah. And then, it, and then it like just sat up and it was a little fox. Oh. And it hung out with me for a little while. What did it say? Uh, I can't tell you. It was something kind of like that. Oh my goodness. But yeah, it was like, I, that. those are my favorite field field stories. We'll, we'll talk about some funny ones in a minute, but my favorite is actually like, of course, finding something cold geologically, but really it's just adventuring and exploring. Exploring is, well, I know before I was a geologist, whenever I was in the the military, I would, I mean, like it's, I don't know if it's a funny field story, but like it was cool. Like in, I I guess it was some kind of, I mean, it was sedimentary. It was like sedimentary rocks, but it was kind of like this little, I guess, beginning part of a little Canyon. Um, I would go to the top and I would, I would like ski down it, but I mean, like it was like very loose on the way down and I mean, that was really cool. And then like, I don't know, chasing, herding camel around. What? Yeah. So like <laughs> when I first, like our base, when I first got there in uh, 2000, like it was January 05 there. I mean, like there was just berms around the base. Like there was like a city city. And then here was like our little base. Yeah. And then, so like camels would, uh, like come into our base. So I'm like, we would being that when I was doing like the quick reaction force, like the QRF, like we would take our Humvees and herd them out. Wow. And then a crazy story from that is like with there not being anything other than like sand berms and maybe like concertina wire here or there. One day, like we got off from our shift and like three, like we're in the transition tents, like before we got to sleep in these like little pod things. And like in our tent, like these little, you know, kerosene soaked uh, canvas tents that slept about 30 people, uh, we were sleeping on cots. But anyways, there was like someone from the city just underneath the bed. Like, so like we're coming in and we're all like walking in and then all of a sudden you just hear, what the fuck? Everyone's like, you know, like, I was like, what the fuck is going on? Holy shit. Yeah. And then the only 
only other, I guess, uh, crazy field story is my um, 21st birthday. It was the first time I experienced a sandstorm. So that's kind of geology. I was stuck yeah. in a tower that was like uh, facing it the whole day for 12 hours. <laughs> I get I get back to, I miss the truck like to take me back. So I had to walk all the way across this base. I took a cold shower. And as I was going to sleep, like, I feel like it's always like, you know, it's like, it, it feel like it only happens to you. But like, I, I legit, like, as I was like laying my head down, it was the first time like our base, like legit got like attacked with like mortar and rockets. Yeah, it was like 21st Holy birthday. Shit. Like I, and I have it written in, in like one of my journals that yeah. I have, like, cause I was like, well, happy. Well, most people are yeah. out at the club partying. Like this was my 21st birthday and it's getting like, bombed. Yeah, it was, it was, fuck, it was surreal. Man. It was surreal. So anyways, I'm not going to hog all the time. Well, you glad go. that you didn't get blown up oh, yeah. and didn't fall <laughs> off the ladder. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll do a, a quick couple. So the last time I went and did some water chemistry sampling, it was down at the Guadalupe river and there was like all these people like so people go tube the Guadalupe yeah, river. I've done it. Yeah. Guilty. Yeah. And this, so there's all these families, these girls and like bikinis and stuff. And I'm over here like this like nerdy scientist guy and I'm going over and filling up vials and putting them in my pack and stuff. And so then I'm like, I wave at everyone because they were like, hi, whatever. So I'm like, hi. And then I like, freaking bust. And I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like under the water, but like I'm holding all the samples. Like, oh, in the name yeah. of science. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh my God. So then I, I get up and then I do it again, again and again. I'm just like busting like over and over. So again. you're almost like that water yeah, like, and, being and turbulent. So, you know, like you see like, why is someone videoing like this thing happening to this person? I was definitely videoed. So I'm probably yeah. on the internet just busting. Yeah. <laughs> but another funny one I wanted to talk about is one, it's not technically like a, we're out in the field, but it was on our field visit to New Mexico. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so we made it a habit to go to this same bar like almost every night. Oh yeah. Cause we were there for like two weeks at that yeah. one place. Yeah. Yeah. And so we would go there and um, I guess they had like open mic night or something. Yeah. No, and, I, I feel like yeah that was one of uh i think one of the, it was i almost want to say like fairly early on because it was one of those like bonding moments where we we're all like we all went out as yeah. like a big group yeah yeah and you we had talked about like um we played guitar and stuff and so like you did a song i did a song I don't I know, know. I know what song I did. I did Gangster's Paradise. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what I played. I think I played an original. Yeah, you probably did. Yeah. That sounds like something Brian would do. Yeah. Like, I'm too good for covers. Yeah. No. <laughs> but that was a lot of fun. But then I also remember someone in our group, the bartender girl left for like- Oh, no. That, I think that was one of like, that's after we'd kept going. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. So like, I think we all like grilled out and then we went to the bar. Yeah. And she just left. <laughs> she and then, left. and then was it Mark? He just yeah. like jumped over the bar and started just like pouring- drink. Like he just started pouring <laughs> beer for everybody. <laughs> just like they lost a lot of money. That it, where did like it was like a considerable amount of time just yeah, gone? Like yeah, where and, the f did this person go? And, like we weren't just we're all geologists, so it was just like one, two. Like Mark was a busy man. Yeah, and it's like this chick just I think she went off to go smoke with her boyfriend or something. Yeah, like okay, yeah, but yeah, those. I don't know, like other fun, funny stories. I don't really have funny. Did, okay, I remember when we were mapping and, uh, someone yelled that there was a mountain lion or a bear. I still don't know if that's, if it actually, they actually saw it or not, but on our radios, they were like, there's a mountain lion. Like, it it sounds like something like, uh, (laughs) that one group of, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Well, I still don't know if it's true or not, but. So, I mean, I have one funny story. Like, so, um, there's this pocket, pocket, 
prairie that uh, like, so we were out there one day with kind of with the Marine Creek land scholars, kind of like all volunteering, like pull weeds and, you know, getting all these things. And this one guy just popped up out of nowhere and was like, hey, kids, look, it's an American bald eagle (laughs) (laughs) in North Texas. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I looked at it. I was like. Is, that's definitely just a just a red tail like the, the hawk like a normal just like <laughs> just a hawk just a red tail hawk yeah I mean we do have bald I see bald eagles all the time at, at the lakes when I go out no, no you yeah, don't yeah at Louisville I've, there's a pair of them okay well that's but this guy sounds like he, he pointed to a red tail hawk yeah he's like you can tell look at the the, the red on it <laughs> I, like, I don't what? but like for one like American bald eagles are huge they're enormous. Yeah, they, they're they're massive. Like they yeah. have like what and like they're not, eight ten foot wingspans. So this little thing was. I mean, like it was just a, a hawk. Yeah, and the American bald eagle has a white head that's very noticeable <laughs> and a white tail. Feather. Yeah, no, this definitely. <laughs> but I was just like, oh my god. And he was just like, yeah, like oh, you should take note of this kid. But he it's like a, popped up out of nowhere. Like, he, but he was working there, and I thought oh, he was okay. part of the group. I thought he was like hanging out in the brush. <laughs> yeah. Hey, kids, hey, check yeah. out this. It's a bald eagle. <laughs> I was in, like embarrassed because like, I was like, oh god, I'm not. That's not an eagle. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, this is not really uh, a field story, but let me get a little party while it's going on. Ah. We got asked to kind of identify these rocks of oh, Easter Island. Yeah, I thought that would be that kind of a cool, awesome. a little, a little, a little talky talk for yeah. you want to, you want to lead it off? Sure. Um, so we had a guest on the show before and he has worked on Rapa Nui Easter Island doing multiple amazing things, but he was hit up by another individual that was trying to study basically where. Like, well, at, at first it was just like, can you, like, oh, we, yeah. got, we got, we got the thing and there was like, they sent us a picture of about like 15 rocks in and it was just these pictures of, and, and they, and they were like, these are uh, river rocks. Yeah. They're, they're fluvial. Yeah, not, we didn't, they didn't really say the, fluvial. They just said they were rounded river rocks. Yeah. We didn't have the background yet. Like, we didn't have anything. Yeah. They're just like, can you identify these? And so you, I think we got, we maybe, were just, we were like, man, there's a lot of volcanics here. Like, yeah, we, but we also said that there were a lot of like sandstones. Well, cause the picture was so blurry. Yeah. So we when we would zoom anything. in, <laughs> we couldn't see any, I mean, like you could see from afar. So, I mean, like it looked like kind of had like this coating on it. Yeah. But so yeah. like we sent him like, you know, you know, as a, as an armchair geologist, you know, just a best <laughs> guess without looking at these in like a little bit further, greater detail. Yeah. Like this is what we think they are, but you know, I, I can't say if it is. And I was like, Hey, it'd be cool. Like, you know, if you want to do a study on this or whatnot, but anyway, so then he's like, well, thanks. I will um, include the, I guess what the, the producer making a yeah. documentary about something on Easter Island and she was they they sent uh, a lot more pictures and yeah. we kind of uh, we analyzed it pictures yeah <laughs> and so they were basically wondering wanting to know are these stones native to the island or are they from elsewhere? Because offshore there was, I don't know. A shipwreck. Yeah, right? a shipwreck. And yeah. they, the lithology of these rocks were very different from the island, even though they're similar kind of. A, um, well, it was, it was an interesting, yeah, they, they were like, Hey, they, we don't think they're from here. We think they're exotic to Easter Island. And yeah. when we first did our first pass, and this is, this is kind of an important thing. Like when you're doing identification, always do like two or three passes because you're going to start to get a better picture of what's going 
going on. But we were like, yeah, like these look like trachytes and rhyolites and those are all on Easter Island. And there's a, there's a couple of domes there, rhyolitic domes that are right by this basaltic volcano. It's yeah. all there. But and, I, and I think we, and at one point we we're like, yeah, they, they, I mean, this looks like it, it's from here. Yeah. Right. And then I just, out of a curious, I was just like, well, it's where the, the volcano was is on the Southwest Island, but like the, the river wasn't very far. And, it, no. it, and these, these stones were such a high degree of weathering. And then there was very rounded. And then I was like, there's not really any like olivine, like a lot of the research papers there talk about seeing like at least olivine in these, you know, samples. And right. then also the, the super abundance of the, the plagioclase was kind yeah. of like that were like tabular and looked very zoned. Yeah. Like X solution on the plage, like from case bar to plage. But what was, what's really interesting is we had an absolute absence of basalt. Yeah. And now, so it is important to note, like we had a handful of stones, so there could have been basalt out there, but given what we had, there were a few things. We had an absence of olivine, even in like the trachytic rocks that we thought were like more trachyte, potassium rich volcanics, you would still see some, usually some pyroxene. And some yeah, there was, there was lack of any mafic, yeah. except for one of the samples that I'm looking at. Uh, I mean, they, it could have been, but again, like it just, it, it was very volcanoclastic. Like it looked like debris flows. Yeah. You could see like banding, like there was a, a yeah. banded rhyolite. Yeah, there was a banded rhyolite. And, and some of the, well, the rhyolites on uh, Rapa Nui don't really look like the ones that we, they were like, there's more of like the white rhyolite, the really light colored ones. And yeah. we were looking at darker colored rhyolites and day sites. Uh-huh. But that kind of led you to do something. Yeah. You kind of looked into. So like when we got the original, uh, I guess, diagrams to go off of, uh, there was a shipwreck and this captain kind of moved these, these, these stones or thought that stones were from it was um constitution yeah yeah in chile right so what we noticed is that not like the the geology the geo how did i say that weird anyways the the geology of that i guess interpretation of the the fluvial deposits around the area i know it's there's there's you know so it's you would have runoff but like none of the descriptions of the rocks like actually looked like what was provided to us right so what i wanted to do i was like well i mean if we wanted to kind of like let me take a step back out because I mean we took a step back out from the actual uh, Rapa Nui Easter Island volcano that they originally gave us like we had to yeah. zoom out of that and we saw oh right next to it we saw the that 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 could be a viable source of these rocks but yeah. then so I did the same thing with the the image that they gave us on regarding Constitution Chile and I kind of like went up the mountain and I went up the mountain and then I saw like this volcanic complex and it was what the um, the mall volcano Laguna Del yeah the mall Laguna yeah um so in it and it actually perfectly describes all of the rocks in the sample. So it was kind of like this. I'm like, Brian, let's look at these rocks. Let's let's look at some of these papers. I mean, based on the description of the rocks and the rock, the way that they looked, it was, I was like, oh, I think we it, figured it out. It definitely handled like the pyroclastic nature of it. Oh yeah, absolutely. But I wanted to point out you're where you ended up, like the Laguna del Mall, the, the Rio de sites, like we saw a lot of those in the samples. Yeah, lots of them. But that was like hundreds of miles from the like 200 maybe 100 something miles from it, the it's coastline. a it's a pretty far away yeah. it's like up in the andes close to the so almost argentina border these rocks that we had definitely fluvially transported they're yes. very rounded typical river rock looking stuff mm-hmm. the volcanoes on easter island are two miles yeah from so 
the coast where the ship was. So there is no way you would have that degree of rounding. No, and not, not all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so it was kind of like this Oh, And then I started reading kind of like these other articles about how more of the, I guess, anthro anthropology, kind of how they would mine stones up there for the obsidian to make different tools. So then I was like, well, then that would lead me to believe that like, you know, if you use, and then I guess they wanted to see if they were ballast stones. So would they would use them to kind of balance weights in the, in ships that would make these cross uh, Atlantic journey and then they'd have to dump them out, but they'd have to get the rocks from somewhere. Yeah. Like, right. And then, so if you had, if you had this kind of, they, they've talked in other literature about how they would go and mine up there. There was all these different things anyways. And it, 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 it kind of just fell together. And then we actually think that we found this weird encrusted kind of like bivalve thing, right? That was a cool find. Cause we were like, what is this? Like, it doesn't then, even like, and then we just back once again, backing out, like get out of the, like the microscopic and go macro for a moment. Yeah. And we're like, I was like, that's, I was like, that kind of looks like a bivalve. Do you think it is? And then I was like, Oh, look at the dorsal line. Yeah. Like the, you can the, see. The, yeah. So it was pretty cool. And then, uh, I think it, you know, we can't say for sure because like we did not, no. we couldn't do a petrographic analysis. We couldn't do any kind Geochem of or anything, look at it under a microscope, but based off of, I would say decent pictures. I mean, they weren't great. Like you could still like lose clarity zooming yeah, in. We could, t- we could identify phenocrysts. Yeah. And, I mean like for textures. the most, for the most yeah. part, like, uh, so we did see kind of, I mean, a lot of the, the tabular plagioclase, yeah. you know, so, I mean, there was a porphyritic rhyodacitic, uh, vitrifier. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I mean, like it looked glass. I mean, like there was some glassy, but then uh, most of them were like, I guess, I guess we defined like rhyodacite, like, and then like enigmabrite. Ignimbrite. Ignimbrite. Yeah. Cause I mean like the, uh, but you could definitely see some degree of flow in them. Yeah. Yeah. You can, and we, the preferred orientation of the like, crystals in the flow, lava flow. Yeah. It was really pronounced in quite a few. Yeah. And I was surprised in the, like, too with it you know there was actually like not very many samples that even had like any kind of quartz being there was only one and that was that red porphyritic rhyolite yeah it had the quartz phenocryst yeah um but that it, was it. Yeah. But I thought really fun to, you know, kind of like this puzzle. Like, so it they, awesome. they it, yeah. <laughs> at first we thought it was River Rock. They provided us these two maps. And based on the maps, we were just like, well, it could, it's probably Easter Island rocks just based on that. And then yeah. it, it just, something was, you, you, follow your hunches, like, too. Yeah. Like, don't ever just, like, oh, one, like, again, like, we sat here before a podcast and kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, this this looks like this and this. Yeah. And so, it, it, yeah, it's probably, right, but then sitting on it and thinking about it and then just exploring other options, like, well, it could be this. So, well, let's look at that. And it showed us that, like, negative data is just as powerful as positive data. So, we had an absence of basalt. We had an absence of olivine and pyroxenes. Yeah, which you would think that you would find being in such a, a close a area. salt heavy zone. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that, <laughs> Cheers. Was, that was a lot of fun. That was, it was a lot of fun. But I think until we go any further, we do a little bit of mineral. Mineral minutes. Mineral Mineral. Mineral minutes. Mm. Minerals. All right, and this week's Mineral Minute is brought to you by the fluorocalcium phosphate, fluoroapatite. Hmm. Fluoroapatite's chemical formula is CA5PO43F. I can put letters and numbers together too. And fluoroapatite can be either transparent or opaque and can be vitreous, subvitreous, resinous, waxy. <laughs> 
or greasy. Fluoro apatite is colorless to white when pure and also green, blue, pink, yellow, brown, violet, purple, go on and on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So fluoro apatite was renamed in 1860 from the original appetite of Abraham Werner by Carl R. Rommelsberg to emphasize the chemical composition, right? So appetite is the, it's from the Greek apapto, meaning to deceive as appetite, mm. was often confused with other minerals such as beryl or millerite. We done millerite for yeah. all of ours. Millerite, millerite, millerite. <laughs> so Rommelsberg added the fluoro prefix in an allusion to the dominance of fluorine in the composition. Fluoro apatite is named for its type locality in the Sauberg mine, <laughs> Ehrenfreidersdorf, Erzbergskreis, Saxony, Germany. Fluoro apatite has a specific gravity of 3.1 to 3.25 and has a hardness of 5. Fluoro apatite is by far the most common species in the apatite group. It occurs in almost all all igneous rocks during initial phases of paragenesis. Scientifically, that doesn't make sense. As an accessory mineral, commonly in microscopic crystals, and it can occur in as very large bodies in lake magmatic segregations and alkaline igneous rocks. It also occurs crystallized in pegmatitic facies of acidic and basic types of igneous rocks. Common magnetic You legit just made that up. Common in magnetite deposits and in hydrothermal veins, particularly those formed at high temperatures and in the alpine cleft type veins. Uh, fluoroapatite fractures irregularly or uneven and can be conchoidal in nature. Fluoroapatite has poor cleavage. Rocks is rocks. What? Is that real? Yeah. <laughs> fluoroapatite has poor cleavage that's indistinct on the 0, 0, 0, 1 and 1, 0. Pretty sure that's a covalent bond. 1, 0 planes. Yeah, fluoroapatite is uniaxial negative with moderate surface relief and is part of the hexagonal crystal system in the 6M dipyramidal class. Fluoroapatite <laughs> crystals are short to long hexagonal <laughs> prisms. <laughs> The zero 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 one with <laughs> one zero one zero and one zero one one dominant. Also thick tabular zero 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 one frequently in crystals of hydrothermal origin in pegmatites and veins with one zero one zero relatively large one <laughs> zero 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 one and often also one zero one one. <laughs> or low pyramids. Massive, coarse, granular to compact. Did you know that fluoroapatite may have rare contact twins on the 1121 plane? Twin plane 1013 is rarer still. Mm. And there has also been twins reported on the 1010 and the 1123 planes. I did not know that. Yeah. Well, stay tuned for next season's Mineral Minute. The ooh series. Ooh, we. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, did we ever close that one off with a bang? So yeah, it was. I told you it was going to be obnoxiously long. Like there wasn't. It wasn't a. a I guess an exotic sweet yeah. or like weird mineral, but it was. It was, it was long. Like, yeah. Dude, the minerals for next season are right. hilarious. Yeah, they only get better. So <laughs> the fluoro roro. I thought it was more. Uh, okay, so. Um, Moving on to, I guess, our question three. So where will, do you think geology will be in a hundred years that cut off? 
Yeah, I think that's a good question. To me, it's not like obviously technology is going to change a lot right now. Like we, I, I, I hope that we don't get away with robust scientific experimentation, like doing geochemistry. Like when I think of the future, I'm like, oh, they'll scan the rock and it's going to say everything. Yeah. There's going to be some instrument that can do whatever and you don't but, have to do any lab stuff. <laughs> yeah. But I, I do feel like with that, like... <laughs> Just exam like taking or you know scanning a rock like how in the world would it be able maybe like it could penetrate in and see the the structure of it and be like this is what we think based on all of the because yeah I guess processing speed is going to help that a lot yeah I mean it have to yeah it would I mean it's it's definitely we've come a long way lab stuff used to all be done like mainly chemically doing chemical reactions but now like we have handheld x x-ray fluorescence like yeah you stick part of a rock on there and it'll tell you the major elements and stuff so i i think we're going to see like a really great progression in that i do and then so what i we want to use a little bit of uniformitarianism right. the present the key. is key to the past yeah <laughs> that, so yeah, it's that one yeah, yeah okay so if the if the present is key to the past so if we're going to project like what we do now like i guess reverse engineer this so uh for my birthday uh my father and stepmother they got me this geology principles kind of like lab manual that looked like it was used for teaching geology and it was it says the author i mean september 1932 right and then I mean, there's some in the preface in the 1949. So I mean, it's a little bit over the place, but I would just like to like some of it. So this is pre plate tectonics wasn't a thing during no. this time. Yeah. Right. And then just even the language kind of like it, the one of like I was reading, I was like, okay, some of this kind of like uh, some of the terminology, but what stuck out to me was the language of this book. So I'll read just a little bit of it. So the earth is continually changing. Some changes are great and rapid, whereas others are small and slow. Although they are nevertheless effective, the geologist seeks to analyze the changes and the processes that caused them. He assumes <laughs> that these processes have been operating during the past as well as the present. So that's the uniformitarianism. Yeah. But what stuck out to me was the term he. Yeah. Like, right. So even the idea of a geologist has changed in not even a hundred years. So I think that is important. But another term, like, I don't think that we use it today when we are talking about the moving of sediments and stuff was called, um, when it was talking about diastrophism yeah. includes all movement of solid parts of the earth with respect to other parts. So this is how <laughs> kind of they explained like the anticlines and synclines oh, and faults. Oh yeah. If they couldn't use plate tectonics yeah diatrophism yeah. diatrophism yeah so a study of rocks and their relations to each other so large areas of rocks so I, I thought that was interesting so how could we like use that it's like what are we doing today i mean like we've come such a long way yeah and so that's that's a good point like we will always find things that we didn't exactly have you know like that we didn't have it right so there's gonna be a lot of corrections there may be major ones or just minor ones like academic ones but that's gonna change how we battle a lot of how to keep our earth healthy yeah absolutely <laughs> you know, I, I think yeah no I, was, I, I think few disciplines in today's world play such a significant role in how society operates like you were saying and what we can do to protect our future so few fields of study can play such a profound role in protecting people's lives on a daily basis whether you realize it or not so this is geology and if you can bring together so many disparate ideas from sciences to social sciences to humanities to the arts like the study of earth can so there has been significant advancements in the past hundred 
100 years in the geosciences, and I'm sure there's going to be plenty more to come still, yeah. right? So looking upwards and beyond, improved models will, like you were saying, um, I think help discover what is truly at the center of the earth. Right, yeah. So is it even solid? So there's some talk that it, it might be plasma, like, right? We don't we don't have any instrumentation that all we know is from seismic waves. Like they don't, you know, there's a there's a liquid outer way because yeah. there's no shear strength in it. There's that shadow. Well, I think that will also like bring up like we're going to be able to tell like right now we have like really robust ex experiments that have shown the different radiogenic systems. We're going to really even refine those further and what their applications can be. And so some of that will go into like what is the, the lower mantle in the core look like? Yeah, no, and I think it's cool. And like what you're yeah. saying about radiogenics, think about this in 1911, a little over 100 years, so 110 to be exact, is when we first discovered that the earth was billions of years old. Mm. As we know, in 1898, uh, Mary Curie discovered the phenomenon of radioactivity and by 1904, Ernst Rutherford, a physicist working in Britain, realized that the process of radioactive decay could be harnessed to date rocks. And it was against this background of dramatic and exciting scientific discoveries at the time that a young Arthur Holmes completed his schooling and won a scholarship to study at the physics of the Royal College of Science in London. So there is where he developed the technique of actually dating rocks use, using the uranium lead mm. method. And from age of his oldest rock that he discovered was at least 1.6 billion years old. So that's, a, <laughs> that's, that's 1,600 million. Yeah. So that's the difference, the two L's. Yeah, yeah, two. Yeah, I, I, the last episode, it, I just so keep bringing funny. it up. Yeah. And then she was like, wait. But so <laughs> geologists at the time, again, they weren't happy with the new results as perhaps they should have been like, right. So as Holmes writing in nature in 1913, put it, the geologist who 10 years ago was embarrassed by the shortness of time allowed for him for the evolution of the Earth's crust is still more embarrassed with the, the super abundance with which he is now confronted. So <laughs> it continued to do be hotly debated for a Decade. So I feel like yeah. even with advancements, it's still going to be debated, right? So like our whole, our, our, you know, our understanding of it now, someone says something crazy, we'll probably be like, you're an idiot. Like, right. <laughs> so if someone says some, like maybe flat earthers are right. No, 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 no. 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 So also I was reading back about stories and we know about Alfred Wegener, right? And yeah. then did you know that not only was right about continental drift, he was actually contributed a lot to the study of tornadoes. I did not. I didn't either. So yeah. his book, Wind und Wasserhosen, the tornadoes and water spouts, yeah. not only contains the first pan-European tornado climatology, but it's actually an exhaustive treatise on all aspects of tornadoes <laughs> from the weather associated from tornadoes, tornado rotation, and and damage path to the noise, smell, and electrical phenomenon accompanying tornadoes. Yeah. These people... Dude, like he did everything. Yeah. Like I, I didn't, I, I know he was a meteorologist, but you know what I'm saying? Like the, I, I feel like with that too, uh, and you know, when he wrote about plate tectonics, oh, it kind right. of like went yeah. into obscurity and then someone was like, Hey, like I remember reading this. And then, um, what else? I also think energy is going to be humongous focus in the Absolutely. future. So maybe finding a way to harness the sun's energy from satellites that are in 24 hour sunlight, possibly yeah. beaming the energy down. Everything will be interconnected and possibly optimized. Kind of like my notes. Yeah. Yeah. And then the I, I think that the oceans will finally be fully explored to I the extent so, to where yeah. like we'll have it all mapped out and kind of have a way like you were saying, if you look at a rock, like a way to illuminate. I guess some way yeah. the entirety of the ocean. like Yeah. And I think that are talking about like undiscovered places, like our solar system, we're, we're going to be refining our knowledge about that. As oh, absolutely. Well. Cause like for a while, and I think they still like, we just use like different light frequencies to determine elemental 
abundance. Oh yeah. The, my, yeah. So uh, we're going to find better ways to refine that. Oh, absolutely. So I, I don't want to, they recently remapped the Milky Way because there was like a, they actually like 3D mapped it, but actually, I guess, improved on the Hubble discrepancy with hmm. uh, something with all of that. So, wow. But yeah. lastly, I, I think we will have some sort of presence on Mars and possibly the moon. Which yes. will be perfect for our last question. Yeah. And I think that came in as if the there was a mission to Mars and they're like, Mr. Brian Baggins, <laughs> we want you to go colonize Mars. Would you do it? You're going to be like the by myself. No, there's there's a colony going. L- let's say that you have to leave everything here. You, you're going to go, but with a whole bunch of other people like scientists. And but not my family. Not your family. Oh, but you are going to be the head geologist on Mars. So all like the geology that's going on on Mars is going to go down in, <laughs> in Brian Baggins. Name. Um, man, I don't think so. I don't think I would do it. Yeah. That's, that's probably where I lean, but I would like, if I didn't have kids and stuff, like absolutely would go. Well, there's a, a lot heartbeat. of things that I would do if I didn't have kids. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, yeah. That, but I think that's like ball and chains. Damn it. I don't like, cause when I watch interstellar, that movie freaks me out. Like I, I love that movie and the soundtrack is incredible. Yeah. But like when he's on that other side and Ugh. it's like, he's never going to get back just freaks me out. Yeah. It's kind of, we don't do something, I guess, with curbing our, our greed on earth. Well, we that, might. that's the other thing is like, I might just sneak my Yeah. I mean, out. I feel like if I were to go, <laughs> I would need to, you know what I'm saying? Like my family needs to come with me yeah. and then they would have to be on board because they'd be leaving. And well, then just like, I, but if our world goes yeah. the way that it so could, I was, yeah. I, I want to say I was reading an article earlier this week. No, it was last week. It was definitely last week, but I was reading something about the like PCBs and plastics and kind of like these, these toxins that were being introduced to like the sperm count of, you know, is, is lowering like dramatically. It's like yeah. 40% lower than it was like 50 years ago. And they think like in another like, 60 years that we might have like we might be infertile i wonder if that's what i read or if it was <laughs> that global warming made penises smaller that should have been my new news that should have been <laughs> next season that's a good okay opener. I'll, I'll, that's a good I'll opener. research that. but i i feel like man it's very handmaiden tale right so <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah 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 uh, but we don't know the long-term implications of all of these we interactions don't. with these chemicals. And we will in a hundred years, we're going to start to see yeah. stuff that is hypothesized now. Yeah. It'll be pretty there. I yeah. guess I'm, I, it's, it's scary. Some of the data, but I mean, you know, we'll see, we'll see, maybe we'll see, <laughs> man. So I think that I, I, I had fun doing that. That yeah, was, that was, that was nice light. I got a little yeah. into it too much probably in the uh, <laughs> flat earth, but I feel like that's fighting rightfully combating so. yeah. idiocracy. <laughs> so I guess until I, we'll, we'll close things out later, but I think more importantly, we need to do this.
and it is on yeah. to the battle of the bands. So did you yes. like my Spotify playlist? I did, yeah. Dude, I, like I was, I, I find myself listening. I don't think that there's really much of a skippable track. I mean, there's, there's, there's not, it's, it's, I, it's, I was like, oh my goodness. You like, chose really like, good Everyone, tracks. I was like, yeah. hell yeah. Like, I tried to go more of the band's older stuff. So I, if it like, when it was like Jimmy World, it wasn't like a future or like Coheed and Cambria. Like I went. Welcome. Did you put Welcome Home on? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that song is so dun, good. Dun, 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 we have the quarterfinals then they're going to go into the the, the semifinals yeah. and then we're going to compete for the finals yeah. in tonight's episode we're going to play just a little portion or the beginning part of a song from the bands that are competing just to give it a little bit of texture and context so our first battle tonight is going to be Hawthorne Heights versus Chiodos alright let's pick a winner and then pick a song okay. from them okay deal okay so I am going to go Chiodos. I was going to say Chiodos as well. All right. Well, then that makes that one easier. And then I'll let you pick the first song for Chiodos. I'm trying to think what it's called. It was, I think it was on the Bone Palace Ballet. And it was the last song, but this has a lot of songs. It's like they updated. Is it this one? That song is awesome. Wait. What's the name of this one? This is a live version, by the way. It's The Undertaker's Thirst for Revenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's time and time again. Yes, this is the song. Yeah. The ending. Incredible. Dude, this is... This is live. That's insane. They sound perfect. They do. Okay. All right, well, that was easy. And I think the next one's going to be easy, too. And, and so the, our next one is Alexis on Fire versus Circa Survive. Yeah. And I think we all know who wins this battle. And I'm going to go <laughs> ahead and say Circa Survive. Absolutely. And I'll give you, let's go with, we'll go with Living Together. That's a good song. Okay. So good, even though he's not singing yet, which is probably for the best. I think they're like one of the more original bands. They definitely have a yeah. Oh my. Well, so our next one. Okay, now we have Sayazin versus Taking Back oh, Sunday. Wow. All right. So I'm going to go Taking Back Sunday. I will too because they really set the stage for that dual vocal thing. No one has done it as, as good as they have. Then I, I I'll go ahead and pick the song for okay. for Taking Back. You've got oh, this yeah. new head filled up with smoke. I got my veins all tangled close to the jukebox so bars you frequent. The safest place to hide. Weakness, you start shaking at the thought. You are everything I want. 
you are everything I'm not. So good. This is the dual vocals. Yes. All right. So yeah. now we have <laughs> Under Oath versus My Chemical Romance. Okay. Go Wait. first. Under Oath. God, I say My Chemical Romance. All right. So we got to do the coin. Okay. Or pick. No, no, no. <laughs> Let me get a quarter. This is a big one. You're such a sellout. All right. So <laughs> James Monroe's head and Lady Liberty is tails. Heads will be Under Oath. Okay. Tells is going to be my Kim. So I guess whoever wins gets to pick the song. Got it. All right. You ready? Monroe. Ah. <laughs> All right. We're going to do, let's, let's do writing on the walls. Maybe we, why don't we now, is this one they got the... Or is, a different drummer, or is this the? I'll allow it. This is this is a heavy album masterpiece, in my opinion. Because the the drummer went on to front another band, right? He did his own band uh, for, for a while. I guess he didn't yeah. ever fully just like. Well, he did like Under Oath. Then got Norma Jean's old drummer for a little bit, and then Under Oath got Aaron Gillespie back. For their newest release, which wasn't that great, but okay, yeah, all right. Well, then well, I'm on- sorry about my chemical romance. I yeah, know yeah. you were. I, really- I'm broken on the inside. Yeah. So okay, so our next battle comes to uh, you, and it is thrice versus the used. Thrice, the used, and always. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> no. Okay. If you want the no, like, I mean like I don't know. I okay. I don't know. So so we'll do silhouette. By okay, thrice. we'll take it way like pretty far back at least. So that was the only one that I I didn't want to choose wrong on. Yeah, with, with that song, but it it had it had geological contexts with the earth. It does. So yeah. I mean that's and you said on uh, fault lines. Uh, rice. And, what? Um, silhouettes. Right. You got it, bud. Yeah. Maybe it's dude. It doesn't have it. What? How does oh, how you have Apple Music? How does Apple Music not have that? Okay, well I'll pick another one. Just do yeah, Cold Cash and Cold Hearts from Same what album? album? I, I don't have that album. Is oh really? Okay, sorry. Let's go with. We'll do the Long Defeat. Is there any particular part in the song that you like? So they kind of grew up. You can tell, like, they're dads now. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. That bass, dude. Sounds so good. It does. But Dustin Kinster to me is, like, the vocalist. I don't know what it is. Like, it's like he's grown into this jazzy, raspy kind of guy. That So I, I I will tell you, I'm not a fan of the, the deeper voice singer. I like, know I don't know, and I don't know what it is about it, but, like, yeah, I like it, but it's not, like... It's not your, your I, thing. I feel like it's the... What's holding me back from, like, being, like, a, like really, really into them is the kind of, like, deeper... The, yeah. It reminds me of something about, like... 90s, 2000s, like it what ha- you'd see on like 97.1. Yeah. Like I get down with that uh, blood, black blood and honey, whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, I like black th- honey or whatever. Yeah, yeah, but you know what I'm saying? But it, I, I feel like it falls into that. And I know it's it's 
a little bit more poetic than I guess you know what I'm saying, like those the dumb ninety-seven one, the alternative rock. But no, not, not alternative rock, just like the like the rock rock, like Chevelle. Yeah. Oh yeah, like I like yeah. I like Chevelle, but I mean like you know that like puddle of mud and the dad rock. Stuff. Yeah, the ooh, go, go, go. Yeah, Anyways, yeah, all right, yeah. <laughs> all right, so on to our next one. So we have dashboard versus armor for sleep. Sleep. I'm gonna say mm. dashboard. I will go dashboard because I don't like I like armor for sleep, but they're not something that put like an imprint on me. Yeah. Dashboard definitely did in, in high school. Do you have? A- oh man. Uh, definitely from, was it before that? The Swiss army romance? Was it? Yes. I'm going to listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's so good. The sharp hint of new tears. On the way home. So good. You're going to have to listen to it on the way home. I, I will. On the way home. In this way. All right. The wind outside is biting. It's All right. So our next battle is Jimmy World versus Copeland. Why did these two have to be together? It sucks. I'm gonna go Jimmy World since they influenced me more. I guess. I guess musically. I like Copeland. I found Copeland later on in life. Yeah. But like Jimmy World was more of those. Uh, I guess linchpins. I know more of Jimmy World's songs because yeah. they probably stuck with me a little more. I do love Copeland. But I'll go Jimmy Eat World also, and I hope you're pick, you'll I'll let you pick the song, but I think you'll pick the right song. So this is one of my favorite songs that they do. No, stop it, phone. That is a really good song. Their guitar tone so good. It is. It's like it's clear, but it's still like still got the balls. And I like the like the, the background. Yeah, the harmony. The harmonies with them are also really good. Like, I feel like they... TBS definitely has the dual vocal thing going on, but uh, Jimmy Eat World... I can't believe Brand New isn't on this list, but... I think they're maybe on another one. Oh, okay. All right. All right. So, we have Spill Canvas... What is wrong with my words tonight? Spill Canvas versus Emery. 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 All right. All right. The Wall is a great song. So you're going to have to, so for, I think I'm going to make a second Spotify playlist with uh, winners. just this bracket. So round two. Okay. And then um, I'll do two songs. So you'll have to send me like, definitely. Okay. You'll have to send me two, or you'll send me a song for each one of these eight bands, and then we'll make another playlist. Okay. And then, yeah, so now we go on to, like, the, I guess, the more harder ones. So that was a little bit of the tastings of all of the 16 bands that we have left. So now we have Chiodos versus Circa Survive. Circa Survive. Uh, I'm going to Circa Survive. All right, they survived. They did. So now we have Taking Back Sunday versus <laughs> Under Oath. Okay. And I this think this is a like these are like the two poster childs for that time era, I think. Yeah, I and I do. I feel like outside of the the top right, I don't know. I'm going to go I'll go Under Oath. 
I'm going to go Under Oath. Yeah. Out of these bands, like, together, I'm going to go Under Oath. Yeah. So then we have Thrice versus Dashboard. I meant, I'll, I'll go, Thrice, yeah. you know what? You're going to battle me. I'm just, oh, just my God. <laughs> <the one. laughs> well, right, I mean, well, just, you know, let's do it. Because you got my chemical romance taken out. I know. This I mean, like, fair. I'll let you do the, All right, so Heads is going to be Thrice, Tails is going to be Circuit Survive. Heads. <laughs> let me see. Well, it was Dashboard that we were going, but yeah. So it's, it's okay. Thrice. Yeah. yeah. All right. Whew. It's like, I oh, th- that's I've, who we're, yeah, you're right. So thrice. Wow. I, I didn't, I wasn't looking at the screen correctly. Wow. So th- this will be hard. So Jimmy world versus Emery. We'll go ahead and you can, you name know your- what? I normally would have said Emery, but I'm going to go Jimmy world. I think they are a better band. And Isn't that, the lead singer of- the one who went on to do the postal service? No, that's no. dashboard. I know. That's, uh, uh, death cab. Death cab. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 But I think postal service was before. Was it? I don't know. I'm forgetting now. I don't I'm not know. Not that big of a and Ben Gibbard nerd. I'm gonna go Jimmy. All e- right, world. All right, so it's the the left side <laughs> versus the right side. Yeah, it is. I feel like the this is like a a three v one right now with you know what I'm saying. Like, anyways, it like, is. These are. I feel like this is a lot harder for you than it is for me right now. It like, is because I see I, you have three two, of my favorite bands are on this now. Yeah, and and. That's what I'm saying. It's I remember even going to field camp talking to you about Under Oath. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, oh, it's, you know, you're like, they're getting back together. Okay. So we have Circus Survive versus Under Oath. And to me, I'm going to say Circus Survive. <laughs> I will too. I think that they have found a way to stand out. And I don't like the direction Under Oath went over time. Though the, the, I guess the new Circus Survive is kind of uh, a little bit different. It is. Um, it's heavier, right? Yeah, like, well, I guess you could say that. I mean, no, I definitely prefer as- both of these bands' older albums. So it's it's really difficult for me. I play, like, Circa has influenced more of my guitar playing. So I went with them. Okay. And then in the this conference finals of the of the West, we have Thrice versus Jimmy Eat World. And I guess you just want to coin flip it? <laughs> we can't. Yeah, I mean. Because uh, I'm going to say Jimmy Eat World. And I'm going to say Thrice. So where did I put that little? All right. So same thing. Heads, Thrice. You just let it, let it, let it fall. So heads is Thrice. Tails is Jimmy Eat World. Oh, no. Jimmy Eat World. <laughs> Jimmy Eat World. Out. Wow. Sorry, Thrice. Then this is a, okay, let's, we have Circus Survive versus Jimmy World. Yeah. And I'm going to say for what this is, and I would say current me, I would go Circus Survive. Yeah. That's what I'm going to go with. Like Jimmy World, I feel like is iconic, but you know what I'm saying? They, they're not as relevant. So it's not as relevant to, yeah. I mean, ask me 10 years ago and then I would have probably said Jimmy World all the way. Yeah. I, I definitely listened to them a lot in high school, but circa that just the uh more obscure guitar playing yeah no and i would say outside of you know i guess you know i i do feel like the better bands like like kind of floated to the top they did yeah but i am gonna listen to dashboard on the way home and so that 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 does it we have circus survive as our winner i didn't see that i mean i i i did see that but that was a heavy like that was a, a a behemoth of a quadrant right over there. Yeah. Like, yeah. Hawthorne Chiodos. So we should close it out with a little. Oh my gosh. I love this song. He wins all. <laughs> okay. That's not the one that we were doing. Let me see what spring is like on 
Jupiter and Mars. In other words, that used to be our like hype song before we'd play. This one? Yeah. <laughs> and then it'd like go, and then we'd start playing. Oh, really? Yeah. Let's just do a random song. So good. I feel like this is an album that there's not really a skippable track. No. And that's... And I kind of miss, like, everyone's putting out singles, and I miss the going home and listening to an album yeah. as a whole, not just song by song anymore. Like, we're doing that, but I feel like the album thing's going to come back. I hope so. And then I feel yeah. like uh, Jimmy Eat World, Bleed American, that's an unskippable, I mean, uh, almost. Yeah, yeah. That's what, to me, makes a band, like, I, I, I can get down with, like, oh, that's a cool song, but if you can put together an album that I don't want to skip anything, I'm going to rate you higher than the next guy. Yeah, know? for sure, for sure. Well, I think, Brian, it's been a, a very yeah. uh, a memorable, long, I mean, like, I feel like when we get to this point, I'm always like, man, how did we get here? Like, it's yeah. already been, like, 10 episodes. Someone will repeat, but, I mean, it's, we've had quite a few uh topics and informations that was given out and but it's it's been fun like following you around on your thing and i'm super excited about season three man yeah that one's gonna be the that's that's really yes what and then i guess a big thanks to all the listeners i mean like you're like i can't believe like approaching eight thousand not 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 eight thousand listeners but you know downloads (laughs) but you know you do yeah that's that's still a lot more than we thought. I, yeah. I, I, I'm always amazed that people still like randomly message us and email us. Like, so it's right. I thought it was like, I'm just going to, it's kind of like the band thing. Like you just, you wear that thin, yeah. <laughs> like with you, like, I can't, okay. I know you want to play every weekend, but I can't come to your show every weekend. <laughs> yeah. So you know what I'm saying? Like, I thought it was like, maybe we'd have like our friends Yeah. and maybe like, you know, people like graduated with, but never. So it's been, it's been a fun adventure. I cannot wait for season three. I'm telling yeah. you guys, yes, it's going to be awesome. So, but until then. We act like it's going to be this huge hiatus. It's like two weeks. Yeah, we'll be back. Yeah, very soon. I think <laughs> uh, we'll we'll start recording on the tenth of April, and then I guess a week after that. So yeah. But until then, I'm your host, James the Geologist, and I'm Brian Baggins. And we want you to remember to be cool, stay tuned, and keep it on the, the rocks. rocks. <laughs> This song's also grown on me, like, I like it. When I, whenever, because, yeah. you know, I, at the beginning, I guess last season, or our like first couple episodes, we were like, we're like, what song do we choose? What, what song do we choose? No, I, then, I like After keep done. doing this, yeah, it's like, when it hits. Season two, officially, Dunsey. on the rocks. Magnesium is the best metal.